Well, hello and welcome to another episode of the Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast. Episode 37, we're calling this one History at Bank West after the amazing scenes that were seen over the weekend out at Parramatta. So who we are and what we do, we are two diehard rugby fans having a weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby, or in this case, just rugby in general. Real family friendly <laughs> and positive. Get involved. Get involved. Now, for those of you who have been living under a rock over the last few hours or 24 hours, I should say, there's been some history made over the weekend with Argentina getting their first ever victory over the All Blacks. It was an incredible game. Uh, I had the pleasure of watching the first half live and then family duties took over, getting the kids into bed. Yeah. And I'm getting all these texts from a bunch of mates, guys who aren't even that into rugby, going, are you watching? Are you watching? And I'm like, shut up, shut up, shut up. So <laughs> I had to no, like, put not. my phone away. I'm not, please yeah, be I was quiet. like, I am not, shut up. Um, and so I put my phone away and then watched it straight after I got the kid and it was incredible an incredible second half and huge, huge congratulations to everybody involved in the Argentinian setup for just, yeah, making history. Well done. Congratulations. Enjoy the win. Yeah. And I think this is something that no one ever, no one saw coming. First of all, everyone was pretty convinced that this was going to be a shellacking by the All Blacks. Shellacking, sorry. Um, (laughs) (laughs) but it, it wasn't. And it was, this is the All Blacks' best side that they've named this for this game. And it's got mm-hmm. some real questions that have come out of it. So I look forward to diving into that a little bit later in the pod. It's going to be great to talk about just the downfall of New Zealand rugby and how this is the beginning of the end, how they are done as a power and a force in world rugby. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to getting into that discussion without yeah, any like, hyperbole yeah, or any how, exaggeration. How they're going to have to sort of go through the qualifiers for the World Cup coming up. Um, mm-hmm. how we're not yep. going to see them in the rugby championship ever again, that they're going to be replaced by Japan. Japan. It's going to be brilliant. Yep. Brilliant. Yeah, it's Absolutely gonna be, brilliant. It's going to be really, really good. I mean, they've, they've actually dropped down to their lowest ranking, uh, their third, I think, on the world rankings, and that's their lowest since 2003. Now, wow. I won't comment on where Australia is on that ranking. That's immaterial that's irrelevant. for this conversation. That's irrelevant. Yeah, exactly. Irrelevant. Um, but the point is New Zealand. Oh, We've just got to take it. We've got to take this victory as Australian fans and just ride it as long as we can. <laughs> exactly. Well, um, we have been pretty active and been enjoying all the commentary and chat about this game over the weekend on our social media platforms. So you can hit us up on Instagram at hashtag, hashtag not hashtag, hashtag, pick underscore drive underscore rugby, Facebook pick and drive rugby podcast page, and on Twitter at pick underscore drive rugby. So get involved, get chatting with us there and thank you for people who have asked some questions that hopefully we'll be able to chat through tonight awesome love it all right so what we will do tonight we will first start off with some spicy news of the week we will then dive into our review of the new zealand versus argentina game and then look forward look towards next week when australia play argentina in newcastle brilliant well why don't we jump on into the spicy news let's do it let's just go straight on in and Ender, you can take us through that first point tonight. Cool. I'm not... Do you want me to start or do you want? Yeah, you, you, yeah, you do. Yeah, sweet. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'm keen. I'm keen. So basically, we've had um the 2021 plans firmed up and it is very exciting. It's probably the best that we could have hoped for with this current situation. So Super Rugby AU is coming back for, for a second round. Same, exact same format as before. 10-week competition starting on the 19th of February, finishing on the 8th of May. The really fun part beyond that again is that there is a trans-Tasman competition which has been announced, 
which starts the weekend after. So starting the 14th, 15th of May. And that is a five round competition where every single Super Rugby AU team is playing every single Super Rugby Aotearoa team once. There will be a final and that finishes on the 19th June, which is super exciting. It basically builds upon the good stuff that we had this year. Some people might say it's just reverting back to a type of what Super Rugby was back in the day. I don't really care. I'm just being realistic about the current uh, global realities and going, well, good. We get the opportunity for our players to uh, really gain some confidence playing against Australian teams, work on their occasion, work on uh, just a lot of the improvements that we saw this year. I want to see develop even further in 2021 and then to pit that against the quality of the news. So yeah, I'm excited. I think it's going to be really good. What are your thoughts when that news drops? Yeah, I mean, we had sort of assumed that this was going to happen. Uh, we had heard sort of rumors, whispers here and there that Super Rugby, AU and Aotearoa were going ahead next year as planned and that there'd be some form of crossover. I've got to admit, I was a little bit surprised that they're going for a full-on uh, five-week competition with all teams playing each other because mm. uh, it, it, it's a long, it, it's just two, it sort of seems like two separate competitions. I was kind of thinking that we might get a finals, like a crossover final series where maybe the top, two or three teams from each comp play off against each other. But I'm not upset about this. I just start to wonder uh, feasibility wise, obviously it's not going to be long-term. This is the only year that we're doing it next year. The sort of rumor is that we're going back to a proper super rugby format, excluding South Africa with a potential inclusion of Japan or um, Pacific Island team or something like that kind of flavor to it. But um, when you look at the Waratahs draw, particularly they, um, as a Waratahs fan, that's where I jump to immediately when I look at this. We're based home away, home away, home. So where the team will be traveling back and forth every single week, it just does. It just seems a little bit unusual to me that you wouldn't try and base the teams in for a couple of weeks and then bring them back over this side and do something like that. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I'm not upset about it. I think it's good to have it. Just Maybe if- it's going to be a fly out, fly in, fly out thing where you can't base teams overseas. Um, oh, so much even- like... Yeah, is that yeah. I possible? wonder if. Well, it is, is New enough, Zealand. Is there enough hours um, in the day for that? Three is, hour there flight is to either New way. Zealand. Yeah, yeah. Oh, probably not in the return. Yeah, that would be the hard part of the return. You'd I have don't to know. Play I wonder like if they 11. just didn't want teams to be based, like an Australian team, to be based in New Zealand and be doing like a tour and be there for say two or three weeks. Well, um, some, I mean, some teams. Some teams are like when you look. That I just it just as a Waratahs fan, we've got the worst draw. If you look at the Brumbies, for example, they play um, away, away, and then the Super Rugby round, the Super Round, where they're calling, which is round three, which means that yep. they, um, it's all being played at one venue. If that yeah, okay. venue is in New Zealand, they play three games in New Zealand and then play their last two games at home. So mm, I guess okay. in in that re- regards, they probably miss out on having more home games and getting their own fans to it, but they don't have the, they've got to travel once. So the super round is where all the games are going to be played in a one city on the one weekend. Um, Maybe Friday, maybe split them across three separate days. So Friday, Saturday, Sunday night games, Um, maybe across two nights and have a couple of double headers. Yeah. What city? It says 28th to 29th of May for that one. Okay. Across two two days. days. What city do you believe is most likely to host the super round? I think there's one city that jumps out to me from each country. Uh, if it's going to be played in New Zealand, it'll be played in Auckland at Eden yep. Park, just because they've got the facility there and they've probably got enough interest. Mm-hmm. If it's going to be played in Australia, it'd be played in Queensland at Suncorp Stadium. 
yeah, that's what I was thinking. Um, I think that with the majority, well, all the Tri Nations games being in Sydney, Sydney isn't going to get it. Yeah. Um, I think that the Victorian government is probably just unwilling to negotiate at this point about having international travel and international it's sports. Just, also, there just wouldn't be the interest point. there to play it in Melbourne. Yeah, exactly. Something yeah, of this good point size as well. as well. Yeah. And so you've got to think, where are the major population centres? Well, it's East Coast Australia. Sorry, Perth, despite the fact we love you. Um, or it's it's uh, Auckland. Mm. That's basically it. Maybe Wellington. I don't know what the population size of Wellington is, though. Um, so, yeah, it's an interesting one. We'll see how that one turns out. I think we'll just continue on with the news. Um, yep. There's a couple of other points. Why don't we, since we're staying with kind of Australian side of things, why don't you talk about um, Suliasi Vunavali? Good pronunciation. I love it. I'm going to stick with his Thanks, last mate. name because that's easier to say. <laughs> uh, but the news is that new Queensland Reds recruit, Vunuvalu, who's just finished up his time in the NRL. He played for the Melbourne Storm in the final about a month ago um, and played really well for the for the Melbourne Storm. He's been brought straight into the Wallabies team or the Wallabies setup. So he hasn't played any rugby yet. He hasn't played any super rugby. He hasn't done any training. He hasn't even got to Queensland yet. Um, and he's been... F- flown straight into the squad so there's a lot of questions and fear i guess from a lot of people a lot of the nrl fans are quite happy about this and they think oh geez look how easy it is you just sign with a a super rugby side and you get flown straight in but i (laughs) i personally don't think that's what it's about and dave Rennie has come out well it's definitely not yeah. It's de- yeah, it's definitely not. Um, he won't be playing for the Wallabies this year. The idea is to get him in sort of like Marika Korobetti did, if people can exactly. remember yep. back a few years when he first came across from Melbourne as well. He got, he, I think he went on the end of year tour to Europe with the Wallabies and he didn't actually get any game time. He was just with them to sort of train, get his head back into the rugby framework and that kind of thing, work on a few things, develop those skills, which is what Vunavalu is doing now. So yeah, I mean, it's it's cool. Obviously, it goes to show, though, that he's immediately coming into the Wallabies setup. Like, he's he's yeah. a player of contention for the Wallabies next year. Now, I, I guess, looking at his form in the NRL, you would say, yeah, he's probably at or around that mark, but we haven't seen him play yet. He could come across and be lackluster in this game. I don't think he will, but it's a big thing to do. Why not send him up to Queensland, get him training with some of the squad up there? Who are well, he's going to be doing pre-season. engaging in preseason. Um, yeah. he, he will be doing that with them. I just think one of the things that makes me really consider this as a good move is the fact that you've got Corabetti who's done this exact same move from the same club, has had the same process applied to him. He, you, you, surely they're like rooming together or something. Surely they are paired up where they're just saying, Corabetti or Marika. You give Sully everything piece of knowledge, you know, about how you did your transition so effectively. And they're using that kind of mentoring or um, but like buddy system where he's, he's just passing on that knowledge. Surely that's it. Um, like, like you said, Dave Rennie has very clearly said he is not going to be playing yeah, against he's Argentina. He's purely just there for experience. And it makes sense. I mean, how much are RA spending on this guy? It's like over one point, is it 1.5 for two I'm years? I'm not or sure how much they've signed him for. Um, yeah. it's, it's a lot of money. And so you think that they're going to do everything they possibly can to recoup that investment. And if that means having him train with the Wallabies for a week, for two weeks, cool. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. He's not going to be getting a game. So whatever. That's not an issue. There, there's plenty of people that are training with the Wolbies right now that aren't going to get a game in the next two matches. Um, there's actually talk a bunch of the players are going to be getting sent back to their homes and then have some time off before preseason properly starts with the super team soon. So we might see a list mm-hmm. of departures come out this week 
Um, yeah, no, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, yeah. the only thing I say in, in the flip side, I don't want to be that like negative Nancy, but you know, we've got players like Tom Wright, who's come across from the NRL as well. He made the switch from Manly to the Brumbies and it's taken him about what two years to, um, yep. to sort of crack the Wallaby squad. And he played really well when he made his debut last week. But this guy kind of comes in and just thinks he's already got it. I hope he doesn't end up backfiring for us and that he actually has to earn his spot because, I mean, Marika Corabetti really does have that drive and he's had it all his life. It meant a lot for him to make that um, the Wallabies team initially. I just I just hope it doesn't backfire for us and he comes in, he's not fully into it or, or whatever and doesn't actually make that first team straight away. Well, why don't we keep on going? Um, we've had a couple of other points. Firstly, the nine CEO, Mark Hughes, uh, has resigned very recently. I think it was yesterday or the day before. Mm. Now, the only reason we're mentioning this is because he was one of the people that was key within the brokering of the new broadcast deal with Nine, Stan and Rugby Australia. So it's just a point of interest the fact that the ceo that helped broker that deal has now left the company um they're supposedly according to some of the news articles that we were reading the head of stan whose name i can't remember Mike is, thank you he's one of the front runners for taking over the nine ceo position so hopefully that is the case because he would obviously be supportive and ensure that rugby advertising, broadcasting, marketing, etc., is um, at the forefront of what they're doing from a sporting perspective. Um, the other point of interest is Greg Groudon has passed away. So very, very renowned rugby writer, rugby journalist. Um, the obviously we haven't we're, we're younger and newer onto the scene and are not journalists but the people who are have all written very very warming heartfelt touching messages particularly the way in which he uh, was a firm advocate for young journalists in a system always pushing for opportunities for young and up and comers to have their chance and so our condolences and thoughts go out to his family friends and everybody who came in touch with him mm. um yeah, it's sad and all the best to his family and those who are feeling the pain of his loss in these times. Yeah, well said. All right, thank you. Should we, anything else before we move on? No, I don't think so. I think that kind of sums up all of okay. rugby news for now. I think we uh, move across into our review of Bledisloe, well, not Bledisloe, Tri-Nations for <laughs> round four. Game three, mate. Game four, three. three. Oh, Game man, three. Come on, mate, place. we could do it. It's all good. Game three. Game three. Let's jump into it now. Let's go. We move now to Tri-Nations game three and the score finished at 25-15 Argentina defeating for the first time ever in their history, New Zealand. So like we mentioned at the start, huge congratulations to the Argentinian coaches, players, staff, family members who have had to deal with out there. Did you know that some players haven't seen their family for four months? Yeah, because of all of the lockdown requirements they've had to, or the quarantine requirements in each of the countries they've passed through. Like it's insane. Um, Los Pumas on, I think it was Facebook, put out a video showing yes, how I've seen some of the players had prepared over the previous uh, couple of weeks and months. It's just, it's incredible. Absolutely incredible. So uh, if you have not had the chance to watch this game, go and watch this game. The intensity, the energy, and I'm sorry, I'm going to say the P word, the passion that the Argentine <laughs> brought to the match was incredible and it just blew New Zealand away and they were unable to deal with it. So the way that we're going to kind of structure this review is by asking a few questions again. So we'll start off with, well, firstly, one, how did Argentina manage the victory? What did they do to get them over the line? 
literally and figuratively. <laughs> then two, what does this victory do for the Tri-Nations ladder? Three, does this outcome detract from the Springboks' concerns about participating? Or does it, yeah, another way of saying is, does it show the lie of the Springboks' <laughs> excuses? Then fourthly, does this outcome put Ian Foster on notice? And then we might have a bit of a chat about our good friend, friend of the pod, Angus Gardner. Uh, we'll see. It might just come up naturally throughout our conversation or we'll just particularly mention it. At the end. It's not a hate conversation no, it's at not. all. We just have some thoughts about it. Um, we actually think he's a good ref, but we just have some. Yeah. So... Let's begin. Um, how did Argentina manage the victory? I've got some thoughts, but I've spoken enough. How did they do it, Mish? Well, um, they scored more points than the opposition, and ultimately that's what really All right. won them this one. Okay, question two. How does this, <laughs> what does this victory do for the... Okay, come on, go more. So they, okay. they, they uh, scored more sports ball points than the other sports ball team. That's good yeah. to know. Yeah, yeah. Um, what else? Uh, <laughs> so they took their points when they were on offer. This was... Yeah. I was thinking yeah. about this... Um, I've been thinking about this for about a few months now, actually, sort of as we go into this this COVID weird year, particularly after the World Cup last year, that the Wallabies in particular are a team that doesn't always take the points on offer. And we're often sort of looking at games in the part of afterwards and sort of thinking, if we took our opportunities when they were there, we probably would have won this game. A lot of tight victories. And this was the first time that I've actually seen a team, when they get given a penalty in the opposition half anywhere, they just took a shot at goal. There were so many times, I think four penalties they kicked this game were from halfway. It was crazy. Uh, so yeah, yeah they, that just shows their intent was to score points and just keep that scoreboard ticking over. And people have been saying it for years. that That's the only way you can really beat the All Blacks to just keep that scoreboard momentum on and put pressure on them. Um, so yeah, for me, that was one of the biggest ones. And the other one was just, they completely took New Zealand out of the breakdown they had no uh, potency at the at the breakdown at all this game. That's one of the things that we've struggled with the last few weeks with All Blacks, that particularly in the uh, Bledisloe's, the first two Bledisloe games earlier in the year that the Wallabies were making breaks and, and sort of making ground, but then they'd get isolated and go to ground and the All Blacks just went straight over the top and stole the ball over. Argentina always had two or three or sometimes even four players just getting into that breakdown, taking that extra step, clearing out the players really effectively and just making sure that mm -hmm. New Zealand had no possible way of getting at the ball unless they came in illegally. Um, and a few times that ended up giving them points as well. So for me, those were the big ones. I think there's a huge thing to be said about the intensity with which the Pumas played. And I don't think intensity is um, a synonym for passion because people often talk about the Argentinians of being a passionate side. And it's frustrating when that's the only thing that's labeled at them that, oh, they, when they play with passion, they can overcome anything. Well, actually, you watch the game and it wasn't passion that won them the game. It was accuracy, it was discipline, and it was physical intensity, both in attacking plays and defensive sets as well. So it was one, one of the points that I really, really noticed was uh, in the first attacking play. Okay. So the, the kick from Jordy Barrett doesn't go out after the kickoff from the Pumas. Yep. And I think it's um, Sanchez plays it to the fullback or plays it to Imhoff actually. And Imhoff comes in and then he actually darts down to the right hand or the close touchline from the screen, the right hand touchline as they're running, takes a tackle, they spread it left twice. So two plays left. And then they cut it back across to the right. So I think it's called a 21. I think if you go one and then one, one in, one back, it's 11. So I think it's 21. I don't know. I haven't played rugby. But either way, <laughs> they go two out and then one back in. And the thing that that does is it isolated the New Zealand front five. 
And so I actually wrote down the players. You've got Lomax, Moody, Tupolotu, and Clark, who are now defending what is a very large short side. So you've got one, two, three front five um, players against uh, five or six Argentinian players, most of them backs. And so what happens is they just go through hands, draw hands, draw hands, and it makes Clark have to force. Um, he, he wraps the second last Argentinian player who's got the ball and deliberately knocks the ball down and mm. Argentina, Argentina get the penalty and then they score from there. And it was just smart play that was isolating the New Zealand forwards, but it was played with accuracy and pace in order to not allow New Zealand to be able to recover defensively. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's just a great example of that accuracy and intensity that they were playing with. And that continued, not, not every single play throughout the game, but they were able to match and keep up that intensity for a much longer time period than I think any of us were actually expecting. We were expecting them to flag at the end of the first half and maybe after 60 minutes in a second. And that just didn't happen. Yeah, no, they didn't. They um, they definitely hung in there the whole game, and that was another thing as well that they, they as you said with their intensity, but they were keeping the ball moving so quickly. They were kind of playing the All Blacks style of game, and the All Blacks just didn't look up to it, and they were just shocked and didn't expect it. And they were they were just characteristically off this week. I don't know what it was exactly, but there was just a number of things that just didn't go their way, and they just didn't seem to be able to recover from it. I uh, was very impressed with the fact that. Well, actually, I was thinking about I was thinking about those basic mistakes that they were making. Um, one, a fantastic or the most easily identifiable example of that is um, a, f- a fumble by Jordy Barrett in the forty-second minute of the game. So, start yep. of the second half, um, it's a set-piece play <coughs> where uh, I think it's off the back of a lineout or a scrum. Uh, Moanga gets the ball. There's a decoy runner coming off in front of him. Jordy Barrett's playing an unders line from the blind side wing, and Moanga plays it out to ba- the back to Barrett, and Barrett just drops it cold. Yeah. No pressure on him. Absolutely no reason to do it. It's not a bad pass. He just completely drops it. And you just don't see New Zealand do that unless they are very much off their game. And I think it's a huge credit to Argentina for being able to put them off their game with the speed of their defensive line and the physicality of the tackles, particularly the way in which they were able to tackle up high enough to wrap the ball and prevent any offloads from happening. Uh, That was, I was just really impressed. I'm actually kind of worried for next week. Yeah. Against Australia, if they, if they can match that again, we're we're in struggle street. If they can bring that performance for a second match in a row, yeah. No, we'll get into that a little bit later on as we yeah we will to next yeah. week. But um, yeah, no, they they had intent. So whatever they were trying to do, they pulled off really well. So if they mm. were trying to make their all of their tackles stuck, they didn't miss tackles. Their players always went to ground. They always contested the breakdown. Matera was, is that, that's his name? The captain, number six? Matera, yep. Yeah, he was incredible. He just stole so much ball and got so much turnover. He was like a a number seven, like a pilfer, like David Pocock we've seen for years. Um, He just was always on the ball. I just, yeah, I was just really impressed that every time, everything that the Argentinians were trying to do, they were pulling off really, really well. Um, I don't think we, we definitely didn't expect this kind of performance coming in from their first game for so long, coming out of that sort of, uh, the quarantine period that they've been through and all the kind of COVID situation with having it in the team and getting through it and all that kind of stuff. It's been, it was an incredible performance. I do yeah. want to um, just quickly say one thing before we move on to the next point. You mentioned before about passion and yeah. how you didn't want to say that, you know, passion won in the game and all this kind of stuff. But I do need to say that this team is the most passionate 
rugby team that I've seen in the last probably five or six years. Every single time they did something and the camera panned to the bench, normally in a test match, you see the bench and they're kind of just sitting there um, watching on, looking up at the screen. They'll like do a silly sign to the camera or whatever. No, the Argentinas were not like that. They were so into this game. Every time it came to the bench and they, they were cheering and dancing, getting into it. Um, they were cheering along with the crowd. It was fantastic. It was so good. I mean, did you see them pan to the uh, starting hooker, Julian Montoya? It said Montoya, but I heard people pronouncing it Montoya. So apologies if I don't know the right way to say that one. Um, he was crying in yeah. the last two minutes of the game just because it was so intense. Uh, yep. So was the coach, Mario Ledesma, as well in the box after the final kick. He, he actually had to turn, go into the corner of the room yeah. and just take just deep take a breaths minute. and try and compose himself. And just go, oh my God. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he's trying to... Uh, uh, it was interesting seeing Michael Checker in the box as well, um, sitting right next to Ledesma. Um, he was chatting with him throughout the game, didn't have his usual theatrics, probably because the pressure wasn't as much on him as yeah. it was on Ledesma. But that was fascinating to see and do you think there were any trademarks of Checker on this Argentinian team it's hard to say there wasn't anything that particularly stood out that I saw that was like oh that's Checker he's done that but mm. he definitely knew the areas to poke and prod the All Blacks that yep. we've used in the past uh, he knew that we needed to push them and to get up in their face physically uh, yep. and and that's definitely what Argentina did every time that there was any tiny little bit of a scuffle the whole team was in there. It was crazy. They just wanted yep. to get right in and, and they really sort of blew that lid off New Zealand. And they was they were uncomfortable from probably the third minute when they just got into their face and just made it then made it known they were hitting big. They were getting up. They were they were standing their ground. And I don't think the All Blacks have sort of seen that for a long time from an opposition. So yep. I mean, even when we played them last week, we did beat them skillfully. We were better, but we weren't we weren't in their face like Argentina was this week. Um, Not as much, but you see our Nick White, if you yeah. remember Nick White's role last week, he was definitely uh, being an absolute mess yeah. and a pest, but that was he more was, of a solo yeah, thing. Exactly. It wasn't and a it team. was different. Yeah. It was kind of like slowing the ball down, kicking it away or just not mm-hmm. giving it to them. Whereas this time mm-hmm. their big enforcers were actually the ones that came through and standing tall and getting over the players <laughs> and being that physical <laughs> dominance thing. So I, Did I, you I do Matera take take one of the turnovers and then when he when he comes out with the ball, he just like stands up and just stares at the wind. <laughs> I am a man. <laughs> it was incredible. He's got like the most intense eyes out there. It's so good. Now now I do wonder if that is something that Michael Checker has brought to this side. Because we know Argentina is capable of being physical, but this was a mm. step up. We've not seen a team play this uh intent and this they they had an intention to go out there and to upset and to sort of get in the all black space yep um, it kind of reminds that me is, of like 2014 era waratahs yeah with the emphasis on forward dominance and forward aggression uh you, well, you would have had, seen that a lot yeah. in his coaching squad at leicester as well he had his he had his players he had pot Gita, he had um mm-hmm. kepu he had those guys that he was saying Parley as well Parley, yeah get up get in their faces and that's what they did so yeah i think that might be a big a big key theme that michael check has brought to this side one of the things that i noticed was that new zealanders couldn't handle it and particularly dane coles mm-hmm. is proving again and again how much of a liability he can be when he's unsettled yep. so without a doubt he's well, actually I'm not sure. I probably don't know enough about all the hookers in the in world rugby, but he'd be up there as one of the most skillful hookers yep. in world rugby from a, a run attacking perspective. Um, he 
he got he had that penalty turned around against him in what in the twenty second minute twenty second minute yeah. where he um slapped it it was it was a friendly pat I didn't think of a reversal yeah. but the that's, problem um, was that's something we'll talk I, about I was later. I was looking at that though um yeah we can talk about that in a bit I just want to point this yeah. out. actually no, I'll, I'll save this for later but it was fascinating the extent to which Coles was unsettled by the intensity and abrasiveness of the Argentine. And I think he's almost a barometer. If he's not on song, then it can mean that he has to disrupt his natural game uh, of being that on the line, aggressive, abrasive character. And as soon as Gardner put a stop to that, I really didn't see Coles have much of an impact on the game at all. Mm. Well, there was a number of players. A lot of their key players for the All Blacks just weren't in this game. We didn't see Mm. much of either Barrett. We didn't see Caleb Clark did his usual thing. Um, a couple, uh, only a couple, a couple, a couple, but yeah, he was, he was relatively maintained, but he still made a few runs and, and busted a few tackles, but uh, Richie Mawanga didn't do much at all. He, if anything, he missed more points on offer than he should have. Yeah. Uh, for me, I think one of the biggest points out of this game and might be the reason that New Zealand is sort of currently experienced this sort of downward slide is the leadership. I think if we look back to the last two captains, the All Blacks have had Richie McCaw is just, no one in world rugby is better at captaining Jim McCall. And then you move Ooh, on to Kieran Reid. Big call. I like it, but it's a big call. Anyway, it's, carry on. We don't need to talk about it. It's true. The way he <laughs> okay. handles right. his team, the way he handles the referee, he just oozed respect. Like he was this type of player that you just respected. Yeah, or feared. I've heard some refs say that they actually found him intimidating and scary. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and that's the thing. Yeah. And that, that's another part of my point. Kieran Reid also was sort of in that vein. Um, because he played so much with Richie McCall, he had that type of leadership. Sam Kane doesn't have that. Now, if we, this game, when it started to slip away from them, they didn't have someone that was calming the, the team down and sort of saying, guys, let's just stick to our structures. Let's not let this get carried away. And that sort of, that was starting to show, but they were getting involved in the scuffles. He was getting involved in the scuffles. Sam mm. Kane didn't uh, manage the referee uh, scenario, uh, the relationship between him and the referee very well at all. And we saw that in the uh, 71st, yeah, 71st minute when they got into the opposite, the Argentina's 22 and they gave away a penalty. He came up to Angus and said, that needs to be a warning. And Angus has turned around and sort of said, dismissed him completely, which is another issue that we'll get to in a little bit. But um, you don't, we haven't seen that in the past. Normally the, the communication between the referee and the captain for the All Blacks has always been really good. Um, yep. And he's been able to sort of, they've kind of guided the referee a lot. We've seen that in the last few years where they've <laughs> sort of just said, oh mate, you know, that guy's off his feet. And then the referee goes, oh, oh yeah, you're right. Actually he is. And then he'll go and give a warning. Whereas this time it just doesn't seem to be there. And I think that's probably the biggest thing. We don't have it. They don't have a strong leader leading this side. Yeah. It's, uh, I was, in a Twitter conversation with Ben Darwin uh, yesterday or this morning, actually asking for some stats about the, um, the extent to which this New Zealand team actually is kind of less cohesive than previously. And he, he has been putting forward the argument that this New Zealand team is actually on a bit of a downward trend currently, just because of the huge loss of cohesion and experience they've had within their teams. And I am definitely just stalling as I try and bring it up. Here we go. Yep. Here we go. (laughs) So in general terms, both Australia and New Zealand have come off at about 60% since 2015 and about 30%. So that's just showing the extent 
extent to which there has been in their case. And for people who don't know what that means, cohesion is, from what I vaguely remember, is a marker of the extent to which players are used to playing with other people that are alongside or in the same teams and systems. And the easiest way to track that is the integrity marker of cohesion. Um, but regardless, I think we do need to move on. Otherwise, we'll just yeah. talk about the elements of the game yeah. for the entire night. So the second question is, what does this victory do for the Tri-Nations? Well, very simply, it opens it wide up, absolutely wide up. Um, do you want to talk to it first? Yeah. So if we look at the current table, uh, we are three games in. New Zealand has played all three. Australia's played two and Argentina has played one. New Zealand is currently sitting on six points with two victories and two bonus points. Um, oh, yes, yeah, sorry. Two two victories. Oh, one victory. Sorry. One victory, two losses. One victory, yep. two losses. That is incredible to see, first of all. Um, so, yeah, they've <laughs> won one game, two bonus points. Argentina is sitting above Australia. We're currently in third. Argentina's played one, 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 and no bonus points. We've played two, one, one, lost one with no bonus points. So what this really means... If we... You go, you go. I was going to say, it's there for the taking for any of these teams. Yep. Yeah, you'd actually be saying Argentina's in, not in the hot seat right now because they still do have a lot of things against them. I think next week's game will be a really big litmus test to see whether they can uh, maintain the consistency of what they put on the park last night. And if they can, then they are realistically in the box seat to take this championship, which I don't think anybody would have been predicting previously. I would actually say Australia's probably in a better position than Argentina, no, just... only that Argentina has four games to play. Yeah, okay, cool. So we, we have a break in between. Three, sorry. Three, three games three. to play, yep. and they play them all back-to-back, whereas yeah, we true. only have two more games to play. We play Argentina twice with a gap in the middle. They have to yep. play us next week, then New Zealand, then us again. Yep. So I I still think that Argentina are in a strong position. New Zealand, I mean, this is a statement of the obvious. They have to win the next game to have any chance. And with a bonus but point. The, and with a bonus point, yeah. But I'm really, we're going to get into this later, I'm really worried about the Australian match. The, f- the thing I'm enjoying about the ladder as it currently stands, even though Australia is third, uh, New Zealand's win percentage is 33%. So they've won one of three. Australia's win percentage is 50%. So therefore we are better than New Zealand <laughs> in the current tri- Tri-Nations competition. Uh, I'm definitely ignoring many other statistics there, but that's okay. So why don't we shift ahead now to the third question then. Does this outcome, the Argentinian victory, detract from the Springboks concerns about participating? So they were saying that sports scientists had said that they needed 400 to 500 minutes of game time under their belts for it to be safe for the Springbok players to play against New Zealand and Australia. Now, Argentina have had two semi warm-up games against like an Australia A slash extended Waratahs team slash slash randoms. (laughs) Yeah. And they, they won both of them fairly comfortably in the end, although his first halves were pretty tight on both in both matches, but like they've just put the lie to this Argentina have just put the lie to this New Zealand or have they, have they, I don't know. My opinion is that they have. What, what, what did you think about it? Yeah, definitely. I think no one would have sought for saw for, Seen. Foreseen. 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 Look, foreseen. I would have foreseen <laughs> this outcome coming. I think everyone, when South Africa made this an announcement initially, they were pretty, yeah, most people were kind of of the opinion, yeah, that makes sense. It's it's a big ask to come down here and play Australia and New Zealand. Da, 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 da. But Argentina definitely shows that they were up for it. They could have done it. The only thing I will say in South Africa's defense is this is one game of four. So Argentina <laughs> yep. played well now. 
they could pick up one or two injuries early on against Australia next week and then just go completely to bits and then lose the rest of their games by a long way. So I think we need to put in perspective. Yes, they've played really well and they've beaten the All Blacks for the first time ever. Not taking anything away from them there. Fantastic. Well done. But they still have a big task of playing us twice and New Zealand once again. I think we need to see how they will go in that tournament. The reason South Africa did pull out is because they wanted to be competitive. They are number one in the world. If they came down here and got beaten by New Zealand and Australia, potentially even Argentina, just that underdone, they could have dropped down to second or third in the world. So you've kind of got to weigh that up as well. Yeah, and look, I understand some of the Springbok reasoning behind it. The thing, like we mentioned at the time of their withdrawal, was they just left it so late. Yeah. All the factors that they had were in place for weeks, if not a month or two beforehand. You could have made the call so much earlier than they did. Um, so I get their decision, but I also think that the withdrawal of New Zealand and Australia from Super Rugby had a part to play in it as well. And I wonder if it was a bit of a uh, South African kind of middle finger to the rest of the rugby championship, just going, well, if you're just going to ditch us without any consultation or consideration, then stuff you that we're ditching uh, the rugby yeah. championship for this year. We're not coming. I wonder if there was some of that to it as well. So if I, wonder, I mean, it is interesting I mean, as well that they have come out. I don't know if we mentioned this last week or if it came out midweek, but um, South Africa has re-signed on to the Trina or the rugby championship for the next five years. So yeah, yeah. they obviously have intent to play down here. Yep. So, so yeah, yeah uh, let's just keep moving. I, I just wanted to bring that question up and I think it's a good reason why you br- a good idea that you put that in there because there had been a lot of chat about yeah. how this just showed the Springboks were essentially just soft about when we come out. And I don't think anyone should ever accuse a South African rugby player of being soft because it's <laughs> won't end well accurate. for you. And it won't end well for you. <laughs> no, no. Uh, let's move to question four now. So does this outcome put Ian Foster on notice? Yes, without a shadow of a doubt. Yes. So last week after the mauling that Australia gave them by only just beating them, um, the <laughs> New Zealand fans press whatever tore TJ Perinara to shreds. Now he didn't have a great game, but he was just completely dropped from this team and wasn't even on the bench where he'd been on the bench the whole time previously. So I think that Ian Foster is going to be the person that's going to cop all the flack from this match because I don't think there was any New Zealand player that was particularly horrific, but the coaching and leadership, like you mentioned before, is going to be on notice here. So I definitely think Ian Foster has a ton of pressure on his shoulders, even if he completely denied it uh, in the press conference. I mean, of course he's going to deny it. He's going to say, yep, actually I've, um, I've just written up my resume uh, there's a co- there's a coaching job going at the Waratahs, so I'm just going to put that in there. They're like, uh, that's a water boy position. Yep, I'm going to put my name in for that one. I'll be a darn good water boy. He <laughs> probably wouldn't, but anyway. No, probably not. No. no so that's, yeah, that's well, I mean, do you think do you think he's going to like what do you think of the pressure is on? Yeah, look, the pressure's squarely on him now. I don't think any All Blacks coach in the last five or ten years has probably had this pressure, this amount of pressure put on them. Maybe the last one would have been Graham Henry when they got kicked out of the World Cup in 2007. Was that in France? 2007? Um, yeah, so since then, they've been on this upward trajectory and they've just won everything. And Nearly won everything, everything convincing, uh, apart from last year. Yeah, but that was, yeah, apart from <laughs> yes. last year. So, But that's part of this decline. That's still part of this whole thing. Ian Foster was part of that camp. Um, 
Steve Hansen was already sort of gone. That was his last or second last game coaching the All Blacks. So Ian Foster sort of had to take that on and, and do different things. He hasn't done that. Um, so yeah, to, to answer the question, yes, massively. Now, one big thing that I want to say that sort of comes to sum up the, uh, I guess, coaching inadequacies from last week to this week. Normally we see once the All Blacks have been beaten, they come back and they bounce back with, with a vengeance. And whoever they're playing, they will smash them the week after we didn't see that this week now one thing that i was i thought was really interesting is last week australia scored our first try in the second minute of the game by doing a chip over the top argentina yep. scored their first try from nearly a carbon copy situation in the fifth or sixth minute um or seventh i can't remember the exact minute but they did the same thing now that you don't see that normally an all blacks team will make a mistake and the next week it's completely covered up the fact that that yep. hole was still there and that Argentina was able to score through the same play goes to show that there's coaching inadequacies in place. Yeah, I mean, it was a slightly different play insofar as uh, Hodges' one was first phase play. So yep. directly it's a first phase off a, um, off a line out. Whereas this one was after a couple of phases yeah. where there had been an offside call. And it was actually darn lucky that it came off the Argentina. Yeah, knee, back, it looked like a knee. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. but again, yeah. still, it's a chip over the top of an on-rushing defense. Um, and the fullback wasn't, well, yeah, Barrett wasn't able to get there in time to be able to smother it. And what kind of further to that, I'm just not seeing any particular progression mm. in New Zealand. Yeah. Like Australia have not been great over the last four or five games. Um, they've had moments that have been really, really good. But in general, we haven't been great, but we have seen improvement at times. We have seen a general trend of where the team is trying to go. I'm not particularly sure if like what is new within New Zealand's setup and New Zealand's game. I'm not seeing any new style of play. I'm not seeing any particularly new set piece moves. I'm not, I'm just not seeing anything that makes me understand what Ian Foster is adding at this point in time. Or even what he's sort of trying to do. Yeah, yeah. Like where in New Zealand is a team going? Uh, what they do at a core basic level is very, very good. But what, we are, what we're currently seeing is that teams that can lift the intensity, defensive intensity against them and sustain that intensity for, for a long period of time can unsettle them and New Zealand don't have an answer for it. So you saw that for large parts of the game um, in the first game that we played against them where we were able to maintain that for large parts of the match. You saw that when England absolutely dominated them in the semi-final of the world cup. And then you saw that last night as well. Um, Now I'm not saying that New Zealand, I'm genuinely not saying that New Zealand are on a downwards trend and that they are not one of the top teams in the world, but they need a plan of how they respond when they don't have the forward dominance that they've come to expect. Mm. And I'm not, I'm not sure they have that plan yet. Yeah, it's almost as if there's been a blueprint leaked of how to beat the All Blacks. And at the yep. moment, their coaching staff doesn't know how to fix that. And they yep. haven't put things in place that are that are changing that and the, that are they're not scoring points in other ways. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Now, looking forward to the future, so for Ian Foster, what do you think needs to happen for him now? Um, I think he needs to probably just continue to show faith in his team. Mm-hmm. Uh, there has been a lot of transition and change with the All Blacks team. Yep. And I think he just needs to pick and stick and ride out this rough patch 
because the the core skills of all the New Zealand squad are very, very good, without a shadow of a doubt. Maybe there needs to be some element of uh, an extra game plan, maybe using more short tactical ticks, kicks to offset the onrushing defence, which we're particularly seeing as upset, un, unsettling them. Uh, maybe they need to bring in a couple of bigger bodies into the pack in order to have more effectiveness like Sevilla was fantastic like he's just an absolute beast but I'm not sure why they didn't bring Akira Yuani back in um I just or was if he was on the in the lineup I'd barely know on the weekend no that's Shannon Frizzell I I would be rating Akira Yuani over Frizzell Mm -hmm. at six I think he should be in there because he deserves the start based on super rugby form and he is just an absolutely dynamic runner and defensive player i think maybe you're looking at tupelotu coming out and um scotty barrett starting yep as well i just i think they need a bit more muscle in their forward pack to get them that forward dominance that they've enjoyed for so long i'm just not sure and i'm not i don't think dane cole should be starting I you think just, you have a personal, you have a personal vendetta against Coles though. I, I, it's not personal because I'm sure if I actually met him off the field, he's probably a nice guy, <laughs> but I have a professional vendetta against yes. him. Um, he, I just don't think he is better than Cody Taylor to say it very simply. Mm. Um, when he's on song, he's brilliant, but he doesn't have the consistency that Taylor has. And that's what they need, especially when a game isn't going against them. Is it going for them? Yeah. Look, I'm, I'm worried for Ian Foster. If he, he needs to win this tri nation series. If he doesn't, I would be not be surprised if he ends up losing his job in the next year. Um, yeah, yeah. The all blacks are a team that, and, and New Zealand is a team and a country that, demands excellence they've not been in this position before and it's really up to the coach to turn things around at the moment we like the statistics go to show it's been it hasn't been since 2011 that new zealand have recorded back-to-back losses i don't even know the last time they recorded three losses in a row if that ends up happening far out like yeah he'd have to go the questions are already sort of being asked that why why scott robinson wasn't given the position initially and Ian Foster was. And I think because he was in the setup, he'd already had experience with the team, all those kind of things. But if he doesn't, if he somehow lets this tri-nation series slip, any other team wins it. I just don't think it's going to be enough to get him to, for him to secure that role. So the last time they won two matches, lost two matches in a row was in 2011 yep. against South Africa and Australia. Mm-hmm. So they were both, both match, both of those matches were away. They lost three in four games in 2009 against South Africa, South Africa, and South Africa. Wow. <laughs> so South Africa had the wood over them in 2009. Yep. Um, and I'm just going to go back and see if I can find a three in a row against them quickly. Uh, okay. So in 1998, they lost five in a row in 1998. So yep. Australia, South Africa, Australia, South Africa, Australia. Um, away home, home, away, away. So obviously they are a team that is not used to winning matches, losing matches in succession. And how how much would you, it be so good if New Zealand lost their next game against Argentina? Mm. And I would just buy all the popcorn 
in my local supermarket and just sit back and watch this unfold. Yeah. Not because I not because I actually want New Zealand to do badly. I'm relatively indifferent as long as they're not beating Australia. All I care about is just the the juicy drama that would come out from that. Oh, I mean, it's, it's already fun to happening. Just watch. Yeah, yeah. There it's are fun to so watch. many players. There's so many people on social media who have just absolutely wiped the All Blacks. Yep. It's just oh, undeservedly. Got, they're just got it. They're so fickle. Yep. It's so fickle. You've lost one game. <laughs> Two games. So wh- why don't we move to the kind of final semi-topic thing we just wanted to touch on. It's not an exact question, but you put this in, Angus Gardner's approach to refereeing. Yep. Uh, why don't you start it off? And let's not let this go too long in case people think we're just going to rip on the refs. Oh, this isn't, this, isn't a, this isn't personal. I will I start that off by saying this isn't personal. I don't have an issue with how re- Angus Gardner referees. I just, this is something in this game particularly and probably a few others leading up to this that I've noticed. Uh, his approach to ha- how he approaches a game and how he lets his opinion sway things. So my point in this game was that it appeared that Angus Gardner got the perception early on that the All Blacks were going to be playing dirty in this game. And that was what he sort of fell back on for the rest of the game. Now there was a few, there was a, a number of key points throughout the game where he's penalized them harshly for things that, in a normal game, probably wouldn't even get pulled up. So first of all, in the third minute, um, the All Blacks number six starts a scuffle. New Zealand, uh, Argentina goes nuts and they're all in there pushing and shoving and, and all kinds of things. But um, Angus Gardner pulls it up, brings the captains in and... Materian, yep. Yeah, and number six and just sort of dismisses the All Blacks and say, guys, like you, you started this, let's get rid of that. Talks to the captain and says, you know... you you're the captain, I need more from you, all that kind of thing. But from that point on, it sort of seemed like he had this thought in his mind that the All Blacks are going to be doing things off the ball, so they're going to be dirty. The next point comes in the 22nd minute, which is the one you mentioned earlier, around Dane Coles. So the penalty actually goes against number four for Argentina, who enters the ruck from the side. Uh, Dane Coles comes up in a little bit of a scuffle, and he sort of just, I wouldn't even call it a slap. It wasn't even an open harm. It was, it was, it, it, it was, it was a firm pat, a yeah. firm pat. Yeah. And it, it didn't start anything. It didn't do anything. Angus Gardner standing there. He's, they've both sort of stood up. He's blown the penalty and Cole's kind of just swats out and pats him on the chin. And then he immediately blows it up and says, number two, you've done it again. He brings Sam Kane through and says, number two's completely out of line. He's done this tell him he needs to cut this out. Like that's a very hard stance to go on for the second infringement from the team and from the first infringement from this player. An interesting one. I'm going to jump in there because I'm not saying you're wrong, but I'm just adding a piece of information into the Mm -hmm. picture here in that I was, I I rewatched the mini of this game in preparation for the pod. And in the third minute, um, the captain Matera takes a, uh, has a penalty called, against him i'm pretty sure i can't remember why but it's right in front of New Zealand line and coles is there and he's the one that's tackled matera and as the penalty is getting blown up coles as he's getting up does one of those kind of like forearm face rubs where you get up using your forearm on the yeah. face of the player that's beneath you yeah. and it's it's pretty common in uh it's very common in league and it's pretty it's pretty common in mean players expect that kind of crap and they just deal with it um but Gardner I actually saw Gardner's right there standing over it and was about to say something before he realized he needed to go and say where the penalty was for blah 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 and it wasn't enough but I just wonder if he and I you actually see him looking at Dan Coles doing that and I just wonder if that was a starting point to having a particular picture 
of how yeah. Coles was because it was so blatant directly like two meters away from him and he was looking at it as it happened i wonder if that's the start of the picture that he was getting about dan Coles. um because adding on to that the, that penalty against geordie barrett yeah that was my next one minute yeah so Santiago Carreras goes up for a high ball. Jordy Barrett goes up and he's competing for it. It's not a and high ball, it's a kick. No, he's... no, no, no. It's a kick. Yeah, yeah he goes up for a kick. It. And um, Barrett is going to try and like charge it down. Jumps yeah. uh, to try and charge it. Lands basically on Carreras, but yeah. like just next to him. And, and their, actually, heads, their, yeah, heads their heads clash, clash a little bit. Yeah. But he's in the air. He's trying to stop it. And he then he gets tries called to pull immediately. Out. Yeah, it gets called immediately for a penalty. And the thing that annoyed me about this and is the one thing that frustrates me about South, South American sport is freaking Carreras goes down like his sniper yeah. bullet and then spends the next minute or two on the ground being treated by medics and all that kind of thing. And I'm like, mate, freaking get up. You've had harder cleanouts than that. Yeah, um, he's got the penalty. But the thing yeah, for me in that penalty. instance as well, look, Angus Gardner was a few meters away from it. He's not standing right there. He's kind yeah, of back with play. Yeah. And he kind of sees out the corner of his eye, but he blows it up immediately. And he yep. immediately says, no arms in the tackle. And yep. then that's when he's rolling around and, and things. So they show the replay a few times. He changes it. He goes, no, it was a late hit. Yeah. But so the thing yeah. that I'm saying, that, that that's what I'm just that's my kind of point that summarizes it perfectly is that Angus Gardner has this view that New Zealand are playing dirty and he's relying on that. And he's calling these things really quickly because that in most games that would have been play on the fact that the Argentina player takes the dive yeah. and all that kind of things. But I, I Angus calls that straight away. And I think that's something that we've seen against our teams the last few times Angus has refed the Wallabies or the Waratahs is that he just has this perception going into a game that either our that team so the Waratahs the set pieces is, isn't as strong as the opposition or Hooper's not there's like isn't clearing out properly or isn't um keeping his weight at the breakdown so every time that he sees Hooper doing something he penalizes him for it I just think it's starting to affect the way he, that he referees a game and he's not just opening up and letting, letting the game flow. I think he's kind of starting to, yeah. sort of, I, I know they there, talk about a... referees needing to be <laughs> own pitches, um, but it's, it's a worrying trend because he's starting to box things in like he's hit him late. Therefore he must've done something wrong. I'm going to blow a penalty. That's yep. not really the right way to referee it. The referees to go, he just needs to, take away that kind of preconceived notion and just look at a situation for what it was. I think what we'll do, if you don't mind, I'll say this final comment about that and then we might move on to the preview of the game four. Mm, yeah. um, so my final thought is I hear that and throughout the season, the Super Rugby AU season, I've agreed with it. And it was definitely, well, arguably on show against the, uh, in, in the game last mm. night. One of the things that teams need to do is then adjust. Yeah. And it was obvious that the All Blacks weren't adjusting to the extent required to change that picture. And I think yep. we'll just leave it there. Yep. So the next game is Argentina versus Australia. It's going to be held at what? McDonald Stadium in Newcastle? McDonald Jones, uh, yes. McDonald Jones Stadium in Newcastle. And it is now a pretty juicy match. Yeah. I mean, I was looking forward to it to, to begin with, obviously, because it's an international match. But it's there's a lot at stake here. Plus there's a lot to be concerned about against playing against Argentina. I mean, we had both thought that Australia really should be winning both of these games considering the challenges that Argentina's had, but they, through this performance, have just shown 
that they have been able to endure, persevere, whatever adjective you want. And they have, yeah, really just made this game much harder than I thought it was going to be. Um, how do you think Australia wins this match? Oh, how do we win this match? Um, so first of all, we need to score more points. <laughs> you are on fire tonight. Well done. Uh, no, so look, leading into this game, I think I've got two sort of thoughts in my head that we need to, we need to see from this Argentinian side. Yes, they played a brilliant game this week. If they can back it up, seven days later to do the same thing, I'd be pretty impressed. Um, I'm not saying that they're going to fall to pieces against Australia. I see. I think they're still going to be competitive. Ledesma's got them looking fit, firing and on point. And Czech has brought that level of physicality that they probably lacked the last few years. So they're definitely going to throw a, um, throw a challenge up for the Wallabies. But I think it's always good being a team that plays them second because we've seen how they play now. We've seen yep. areas that we can potentially um, use and, and manipulate. So, geez, I don't, I don't really have an area that jumps to mind that we can sort of focus on. Uh, it's going to be a big one about the breakdown. We need to do what yep. they did. We need to play like they played against New Zealand this week. We just need to make sure that we're clearing out, we're securing our own ball, and we keep that tempo up. Because so, with that in mind, who do you pick it? Who do you pick in your back row? Who do I pick from the Wallabies? Because Swinton's out. Swinton's gone and he yeah. would have yeah, been yeah. fantastic in that role. Um, let's make the assumption that Sarkai Loto is back and he's in second row, mm-hmm. partnering Matt Phillip. Uh, who Who's your back row? Hooper's at seven. Yep. Harry Wilson's at eight. Well, that's your call if you want that's to. That's my call, yeah. I'm saying Harry Wilson's at eight. Okay, yep. Oh, do I put him at six? And then who do you put eight? Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with um, Hooper at seven. Harry Wilson at six, and I want to say Izzy Nicerani, but we just haven't seen him play this year, so I'm going to go with Pete Summer at eight. Yeah, cool. I was going to be... We need to stop doing a podcast together so we stop having the same thoughts. We're like a married couple. Um, I was thinking that as well, having Nicerani at eight. My same worries were in place, though. I was... I am a Hannigan fanboy. We all know this. My thought on Hannigan is the industrious nature of his work um, and the effort that he puts around the park could actually be good for securing our attacking rucks. So him being at six could actually be an advantage. And we just need to be making sure that we're getting... One of the things that New Zealand struggled a bit with was set piece as Mm. well. So having Hannigan in there is actually good for our set piece. But uh, it's it's a tough one. I would like to see more opportunities for tactical kicking yep. coming into play. Uh, Hodge proved that he could at least do one chip kick. So that's good. <laughs> so I, I actually think we have to have Hodge on the field. Yeah, we do. And the reason why is because we need to be making sure our clearances and exit plays are getting as much traction as possible. And you don't use O'Connor for that. You don't use, you can use White's box kicking, um, but his ability from his own goal line to be able to clear the ball out at the halfway line is invaluable. So I think we need to have Hodge on the field. And if he's not going to be at 10, which I don't think he should be if O'Connor's fit, then I think he should be 15 because you don't yeah, want to move. That's what I was going to say. I think we put him in the, uh, we put him at fullback. Both of the fullbacks we've had this year so far, Dana Haley Petty and um, Tom Banks have been okay. Um, yep. Bits and pieces here and there, but I think Reese Hodge will bring more to that position than, 
than both of those guys at the moment. So yeah, I'd be putting him there. The interesting thing is we've been talking this whole year about sort of these Argentinian games and how good it'll be to see, you know, the Wallabies of the future come in and have a crack. So we'll, we'll play Noel Alessio, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll blood Fraser McWright. We will, we'll give potentially even Will Harrison a go off the bench, those kinds of things. This game this week changes all of that. We need our best team on on the field this weekend to take it to Argentina because if they play like they did last week, they're going to beat us and they have a real chance of taking out this whole Tri-Nations tournament. Yep. And the we're not going to see, like you just said, we're not going to see the young players or the newbies on this week. I think we won't see Trevor Hosea on the bench and you'll probably have Rob, Rob Simmons on the bench, if not starting, depending upon Salco Oto's injury. Um, but then again, then again, we might get proven, proved completely wrong. And we might see Dave Rennie just go for new some new players that have earned it throughout training for the last couple of weeks. Yeah, we may indeed see some changes, but uh, I'm just not I'm just not sure that that will be the case. Mm. Um, yeah, it depends I on think, Dave Rennie's if he wants to yeah. look to the future now, give these guys a go and see how they fare against Argentina, or try and lock up the Tri Nations and get some silverware back in the cupboard. Yeah. Why don't we move to one of the fan questions now? We also had um, Chris Lamb was asking a question about the pressure mounting on Ian Foster. So I think we spoke to that with enough yep. detail there. Uh, we also had a certain, I don't know who this guy is, Tim Foster? No, I've never who's heard he? of him. Who's he? Not, never. never heard of him. No. Um, can the Wallabies beat the Pumas if the Pumas play the same way they played against the All Blacks? They'll push us, honestly. Yeah. If they play yeah. the same way that they played this week, it's hard to say, I, but I think they yeah, will win because... Yeah, yep. that was our biggest inadequacy going into Bledisloe 1, the turnover at the breakdown, just not being able to compete there, losing our own ball. Um, and then when we got possession, even in Bledisloe 3 in Sydney, is that Bledisloe 3 or was that Bledisloe 2? I'm confused with the Bledisloe and the Tri-Nations now. The game in Sydney, <laughs> uh, again, yeah, we lost so. that breakdown. That was the big thing. We lost our own ball and then we were kicking poorly and turning over possession. So if Argentina does bring a similar game plan, then yeah, and play to that same tempo, they will beat us. They will. Yeah. And the other thing I'm I just wanted to quickly throw this in there as well. The other thing that I'm worried about is Michael Checker got these guys so revved up and ready to beat the All Blacks. He's also coached the Wallabies. He knows how a lot of these guys play. So I mean, there are a few new guys in there, but he's he's still a pretty good coach. He knows what's happening. He's probably had a lot of these guys in and around the, the Wallabies team for a little while. So he could be throwing something else, showing his cards in a different way to take down the Wallabies. That has me worried as well. Well, let's finish things up by saying, what do you think the scoreline will be in the Tri-Nations game four? I'm going to go with the Wallabies by three. Yeah, cool. I um, This is a really slippery one, like I said. I actually think... Oh, Argy's by five. Argy's by five. How could so you? So that way... How could you? Because I You're am doing a man again. who votes you with my head You are doing it again. You are doing it again. If, <laughs> if I'll Argentina be win, way. I'll be happy because it means they've beaten us. But, but, but if Australia win and I'm wrong, well, then I'm wrong. Well, You're at doing least I'm predictable. At least I'm predictable, unlike the Wallabies' performances. So let's see how things turn out this coming weekend. Any final thoughts you want to say before we wrap up, my friend? No, not really. I think, um, yeah, overall, Argentina played really well. We were all really surprised with the performance. And um, I guess it just goes to show that you don't need four to 500 hours of rugby to beat the All Blacks. And on that note, 
we'll finish there. Thank you, everybody, for getting to the end of the pod. Thank you for listening and keep an eye on the socials as we put out some getting your predictions for the game result this coming weekend. Have a wonderful week and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.